Beta Mudalif, Three Principles Governing Diversity, Diversity is an idea that affects us in all areas of our life, not just in, in business. It's a political idea, it's a soci- sociological idea, uh, it affects communities, it even affects families. Uh, and we'll see how by understanding some principles of, of halakha that are quite fascinating, we'll extract three important uh, principles that govern the way to manage diversity constructively because diversity isn't necessarily constructive. It needs to be managed in particular ways. And in doing so, we're going to learn the run on Daphne Bez, which is perhaps the most famous run in all of Shas. And as we learn through this run, we're not going to learn the whole run, but we'll learn some of the key pieces of it. Uh, one just feels the electric energy that must have reverberated not only through the Rans Beis HaMedrash, but through the whole city of Barcelona where he ch- where he taught, and then through all of Spain and, and France and Europe. Uh, this was just such an electrifying shear that he must have given in clarifying some of the con- con- from the difficult concepts in the area of Bitul. Bitul is, is an area in Halakha that we can't really live without. Bitul, as, as you probably know, is where a particular um, material can be diluted to the point where it loses its halachic impact. So, for example, if a drop of milk falls into a huge pot of soup, we say uh, betul has taken place, that there has been a nullification of the effect of the milk, and it's considered as a pot of meat, and we ignore the milk altogether. Uh, the measure of whether there is sufficient dilution or not <coughs> is that there should be no sign of the t- of taste of that the, the the minority piece that has become diluted. So in the case of the milk and the meat, if milk has fallen into the meat part and there is no taste of the milk at all, then betel would take place and it would be considered all meat soup. The um, Chazal decided, since we can't always tell whether there is taste or there isn't, that the standard assumption is that 60, 160th of a dilution means that there isn't any more taste. Now, there can be particularly potent um, foods or whatever that do not get diluted, even if they are less than a 60th. But in general, the principle is that where there's a 60th, less than a 60th of the forbidden material, uh, the whole thing is kosher because it has been sufficiently diluted. Now, in understanding the laws of betel, there are a a few principles that we have to uh, understand first, and then we can move into our piece of Gomorrah. The first is the difference between min bemino and min besheeno mino. Min bemino means two like materials. Min besheeno mino means two unlike materials. So one example would be milk falling into a pot of meat soup. That's min besheeno mino, two unlike materials. One is milk, one is soup. Min besheemino would be kosher soup and non-kosher soup get mixed together. So they're both chicken soup. The, uh, just that one is kosher and one is non-kosher, that is a case of min bemino. And on this issue of min bemino and min b'she'eno mino, there is a machloket, there's a difference of opinion between the Rabbonin and Rabbi Yehuda in Menachot, where the Rabbonin say, bitul always applies, provided there's more than a 60th, there's less than a 60th of the non-kosher material, then whether it's chicken soup and chicken soup or it's meat and chicken soup, doesn't make a difference, bitul always applies. Rabbi Yehuda says, Bittel only applies with two unlike commodities. But min bemino, if it's chicken soup and chicken soup, you can't tell the differences in taste uh, and you don't know whether it's, there's been an effect of um, dilution or there isn't. And then bittel does not take place. If it is min uh, bemino, 
uh, then B2 does not take place if it's two like materials. The second principle we need to understand is the principle of a davashiyeshlo material. That means something which is temporarily forbidden. You can't use it right now. It's it's asur right now, but it's going to become mutar. It's going to become permitted later on. In such a case, even the rabbonin, who usually say that in all situations, bitul works, where it's a davar sheyeshlo material, where it's something that is going to become permitted later on, it's only a temporary prohibition. The rabbanan agree that in min bemin, that that in min bemino, two similar materials. Uh, the chicken soup and the chicken soup, for example, will not become batel. The principles of betel won't apply. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with these ideas, it's a little bit complicated, but don't worry. Let's work through the technical side of it, try and see the beauty of the construction of it, and then we'll get back to the issue of, of diversity and how we learn about diversity from these complex laws of, of betel. So now comes the important question. Um as to what the situation of a neder is. If something is prohibited by neder, I take a perfectly kosher piece of meat and I say, for me, this is asur, this is prohibited to me. So now this becomes like a trove piece of meat for me. Um, is that called the davar shigeshlo matirin or not? Since I can get the, null, the, the vow annulled, this piece of meat could be considered something which is only temporarily forbidden not necessarily permanently forbidden. And then no bitul would ever apply, whether it's min shibbamino or min shibbamino, then everybody would agree there's no, there's no, there's no, and then if it's min bamino, everybody would agree there is no bitul. If it's chicken soup and chicken soup, uh, and on one lot of chicken soup I've made a neder, this is something which will be forbidden to me. It gets mixed up in a large part of ordinary chicken soup, which is not forbidden to me. Since it's min bamino, and it's a davar sheishlo matirin, perhaps, and that is possibly uh, something which is only temporarily forbidden. Maybe bitul doesn't work at all. Uh, and we have a, a Yerushalmi, which I bring at the third paragraph of the sources, where the Yerushalmi asks this question and deals with it and says that since a Talmud Chacham undoes the neder from its origin retrospectively, he completely eradicates any effect of the neder. We must consider an object forbidden by neder as a davar sheyeshlo matirin. And that leads to some difficulties in our Mishnah because the Mishnah says there was a case with Rabbi Tarfan where somebody forbade a piece of meat on himself and then it got cooked up with eggs and Rabbi Tarfan said the eggs are also asur. The Mishnah says, yes, that's quite correct provided the person said, this meat is forbidden to me. He didn't say meat is forbidden. I'm becoming a vegetarian. That's a conceptual issue. He actually took this piece of meat and converted it into an object of issue. In such a case, if something from which you have made a neder gets mixed up with other foods and cooked together, if there is evidence of taste of the forbidden piece in the permitted, so in this case, the meat in the eggs, if there's taste in it or there's less than 160th, there's more than 160th of the meat compared to the eggs, then asu, then the whole dish is forbidden and cannot be and cannot be used. And based on that, uh, Tosfot asks the question and says, we've established in the Yerushalmi and Al Gomorrah further on and Daphnutet agrees with that, that when you've made a neder, that is called the Davar Shiesh Lomatirin. That is called something that is only temporary for temporarily forbidden. Now just consider the Mishnah asks Tosfat, what does the Mishnah say? If there is not sufficient to dilute the, for, the forbidden piece of meat, 
which, remember, is forbidden by Nede, temporarily forbidden, then it's asu, then it's forbidden, implying that if there is enough dilution, if there's more than 60 times the eggs of the meat, then the whole thing would be mutar, you would be allowed to eat that. Ask Tosford, how can that work? If a neder is a davar sheyesh matirin, if a neder is, is something which, which will be permitted ultimately, then eno noheg ela bemin b'minoa, ava bemin b'sheheno minoa, afilu yesh lo matirin batel b'sheheno. It says Tosford that, sorry, excuse me, says Tosford, since it's a davar sheyesh lo matirin, in that case, why is, would it be permitted if there was sufficient diluted? Answers Tosford that it's only in the case of Min min Only if two similar things become mixed up, then if it's a davar shishlomatirin, something which is temporarily forbidden, um, then we would say that that beetle doesn't apply. But in the case of meat and eggs, even though it's temporarily forbidden, uh, we would apply the laws of beetle. What's important? Don't worry too much if you haven't followed the details of that. What we want to get into is the runs discussion where the run goes into the question and says, what is the, the science of this davar sheyesh lo matirin and the min bemino and min besheino mino? Why do the chachome make these differences? How does the temporariness of, of an isur affect where the bitul takes place, where the dilution takes place or not? And then he says, to understand the underlying principle, explains the run, we have to get to the essence of this machloket Rabbanan and Rabbi Yehuda in Menachos, this difference between uh, the Rabbanan and Rabbi Yehuda on the matter of min bemino. A min she be'enu two unlike commodities, definitely bitul works if there's more than 60, 60 times the amount of uh, permitted against the amount of the forbidden. But if it's min bemino, there is a machloket. The Rabbanan say, yes, bitul works, and Rabbi Yehuda says it doesn't, because, explains the Ram, that Rabbi Yehuda holds that the reason that min bemino is not diluted is because kol davar shuhu Notice the words of the run. He doesn't talk particularly about foods here and he's not talking particularly about this case. He says kol davar, anything, any object, uh, which is like his, its friends, two similar objects or commodities, that doesn't weaken, they don't weaken one another. And it doesn't dilute one another. But two like commodities mixed together reinforce and strengthen one another. And therefore, Rabbi Yehuda holds that in all cases of min bemino, lo batil, there's no bitul in such a case. Dilution doesn't work. The Rabbonin, on the other hand, agree that two similar items strengthen one another. But he says, in this case that we're talking about, although chemically they're min bemino, so let us take the example of kosher soup and non-kosher soup get mixed together. So that's min bemino. These are two of the same items, and as the run explains, Rabbi Yehuda's view is, the two pots of soup strengthen each other's flavor. They don't undermine each other's flavor. However, says the run, that when you're looking at two similar objects, the two pots of, of chicken soup, one kosher and one, one not, given the chad asur v'chad shari, since one is permitted and one is not, one is kosher and one isn't, 
שאין ראוי ללך אחר דמיונן בעצם, אלא אחר חילוקן באיסור והתר. Just as a chemist would look at the two chicken soups and say they're identical, the fact that one has a neder on it or one is treif, you can't tell any chemical difference between them, but a halachist looks at them and says these are completely different. They behave in different ways, they act in different ways, because one is mutar and one is asur. One is forbidden and one is permitted. One you may eat and one you may not eat. And just as in chemistry we judge particles by the way they behave, Uh, and the way they act the way they act under pressure or under heat or whatever the case may be in in halakha as well when two objects are chemically identical but halakhically act differently we must see them through the eyes of the halakhist and understand that these are different and so the difference between rabbi yehuda and the chachamim explains the run both agree that min Bimino, the two similar items, chicken soup and chicken soup, bitul wouldn't work. There would be no dilution. But the Chachamim say that if you're looking at kosher chicken soup and non-kosher chicken soup, those are not similar items. Those are items that are completely different from one another. But the difference between whether you look at dimyonam be'etzem or dimyonam be'isur ve'heter. Do you look at their similarity in essence or do you look at their similarity in the way they behave halachically? And from this, we, we see some, some amazing principles. And again, the, we, we're only touching the surface of the laws of Bittu, but we've touched enough of it to be able to extract some of these principles. Number one, two similar items reinforce one another. Difference weakens. Now, we often talk about diversity, and there are many benefits in, in diversity. I'm talking even just diversity in the simple sense of cultural diversity, but it applies in diversity of experience, and diversity of taste, and diversity of music, and diversity of art and culture. It applies in many, many areas. And we know that there are certain benefits in, in diversity. There's a richness, and there's a, a contrast, and there are different perspectives, and possible, possible more innovation. But that's where the two cultures come together and work on a project together. But where there's a blending of the cultures to the point that they're made into one item, the, the, the two objects um, come together. It's, in this case, let's say it's chicken soup and milk. And you mix them together. They weaken each other's flavors. They weaken each other's tastes. You can't bring two cultures together. If you bring a Chinese culture together with a Mexican culture, you don't get stronger Chinese and stronger Mexican. You get weaker Chinese and, and, weaker, and weaker Mexican. Yes, the Chinese team and the Mexican team can work together on a project and that might be enormously innovative, but then they go back to their, to their cultures so as to preserve their cultures. The same is the issue around the different cultures in, in Israel, among the Jewish people. There's Sfardim and Ashkenazim and different groups of Sfardim and different groups of Ashkenazim. They can work together and love each other and, and, and build the state together, build the country together, but there still needs to be a preservation of the identity of each Because if you mix the cultures up to the point where neither has identity, then difference weakens rather than strengthens. But when there's a, a likeness, when different people come together and they are similar, then, of course, there is strength in that coming together. So the first principle is two likes, two similarities reinforce one another, differences weaken. The second one, in considering similarity and difference, according to the Rabbonin at least, Halachic behavior is as important as chemical essence or chemical behavior. So we, if you look at us as, as the Jewish people, chemically, we're no different from non-Jewish people. You can put any cell of our bodies under a microscope and you're not going to see any difference. 
The difference between Jew and Gentile, when we say every day, the difference is in the laws that apply to us and the way we live our lives. The differences between men and women, there are chemical differences for sure, but there are also differences in the way we live our lives, in, in the way we, we interact with the world, in the halachot, in the laws that apply to us. We are defined by our behaviors and actions within a set of definitions by chemistry. So chemically, we're defined as humans. But then each culture of humanity is differentiated by how it sees the world, how it relates to the world, how it engages with the world. And the Jewish people have a very specific way of relating to the world and engaging to the world. And therefore, the Ahavta Lerecha Kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself, Chazal say, is Kamocha mitzvot. If the other person is like you in values, then you, then you love that person. But if the other person is very different from you from values, then loving that person causes a dilution of both cultures. Why would one do that? So the first, the first principle was two similar forces reinforce one another, two different forces weaken one another. And in considering similarity and difference, uh, behavior, halachic difference is as important as chemical difference. And the third one is temporary difference in behavior does not distinguish, only permanent differences do. So if we're looking at people that share common values, it's not that they sometimes share common values. You want people who are consistently of a certain style of behavior. Somebody who learns Torah every day, somebody who davens every day, who keeps every Shabbat, who keeps kashrut, whether they're at home or they're out of home. That's different from somebody who sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. So just as a davashi eshlo matirin, something which is forbidden today but is going to become permissible tomorrow, we see in, in the Rana is treated as something which is permissible. It isn't treated as something which is halachically so, so different. So when we're looking at differences of people, too, temporary difference doesn't make you different. What makes you different is the adoption of a consistent way of life that is unique to your culture and your, and your grouping. And then when one is able, if one is deep, in one's identity, if one is clear in one's differences, then coming together to interact with other people, to engage with other people, to work on projects with other people, all of that is incredibly enriching. But to blend into cultures that are different from one's own uh, weakens rather than strengthens. And it's important for us in everything that we do to preserve the greatness of what we have as we share and enjoy the greatness of other cultures too.